So I want to try to be a blessing and try to encourage you on the topic of finishing strong. And uh, so let's look at Acts chapter 28 and uh, look at verses 30 and 31 first, and then we'll go to 2 Timothy. The Bible says, And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Then look over at 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Verse 6 says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. Lord, thank you for the Bible. Thank you that this book is quick and powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, we need this book to be an encouragement, a challenge. We need the Spirit of God to convict. And uh, so, Lord, best way that we know how, we exchange with you our weakness for your strength. The power of Almighty God would rest upon us. And I pray that you would encourage those that need encouragement. And I pray that you would convict those that need conviction. I pray that you would uh, send comfort to those that need comfort. And we're so thankful that we can depend all on the same book. We can depend upon the same Holy Spirit of God. And so, as we depend upon the Spirit of God and the Word of God, then uh, we would expect what the Word of God can do, and what the Spirit of God can do. And so we, we ask all these things for your name's sake, for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I uh, read some disturbing statistics, and of course they are just statistics, and uh, who knows how accurate they are, but at least they uh, do get our uh, attention sometimes. And uh, LifeWay statistics say, and you've probably heard this, that there are those that are uh, quitting, I mean, there are college students that are quitting. There are adults that are quitting. There are those that have been in ministry for many years, and, and uh, for whatever reason, they are quitting. And the emphasis that I was reading was specifically 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds, all the way up to 22-year-olds, and that probably covers a lot of uh, the ages that are represented here uh, in chapel this morning. And uh, what uh, stood out to me as I was reading some of the statistics was that when somebody, uh, a young person... Uh, is 17 years old, they say that while they're attending, their, the, the dropout rate of, of church is up to 69% when they're 17, and, uh, and then that fell to, I'm sorry, 69% of those staying in church, that fell to 58% when they're 18, 40% still attending church at 19, and then once they reach the, their 20s, around 1 in 3 would say that they are actually attending church regularly. Now, I don't know uh, how many different churches that uh, that, that would uh, encompass, and I don't know what kind of churches those are. Uh, the point is, it kind of gets my attention, and I think it should probably get your attention. And uh, maybe not specifically for dropping out of church, uh, but maybe it's dropping out of college, or maybe it's just dropping out of doing your devotions, or maybe it's just dropping out of uh, loving people and telling them about Jesus, or maybe it's just uh, dropping out of, of just having a focus, a God-centered focus that you started with, maybe the beginning of this semester, or the beginning of your time here at Ambassador. I can remember... I was at the Bill Rice Ranch uh, several years ago, and some of you probably remember this. Pastor Jason Jett was preaching. We had our young people there, and uh, he opened with an illustration for the week that really just kind of grabbed my attention. And uh, if you've ever been to the Bill Rice Ranch, there are three sections there, and uh, and he used this statistic, uh, one in three, we'll we'll end up uh, just quitting on Jesus, and he asked everybody in the auditorium to stand. And all three sections uh, stood up. 
And I was glad that I was standing. I, I, uh, I knew what the, where the illustration was going, and, and I wanted to be the one that was left standing, that was still in love with Jesus uh, at the end of the illustration. But then he asked for one section to, to, uh, to sit down. And it got real quiet when he said, now this would represent uh, at least a portion of those that will somehow, one day, they'll end up just quitting on the Lord Jesus in, in some specific way, quitting on, on church or quitting their ministry. I'm glad it wasn't my section, because I know it wasn't real, but really I wanted to be the one left standing. Well, then he said, all right, I want another section to, to be seated. And that was my section. And I, I know it was just an illustration. I know he was just trying to sort of display what the statistics were showing of, of, uh, of two-thirds of, of young people that, that would just quit, but I, I didn't want to sit down. And then there it was, two of, uh, of the three sections uh, had, uh, were seated and one section was standing. It really, I think, got everybody's attention. It certainly got my attention. And, and I, I just wanted to be the one that was left standing in the illustration. But more than that, I want to be the one that's left standing in real life. I want to be the one that, uh, that finishes strong in my marriage. I want to finish well in the ministry that God has, has called me to. I want to finish well in my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to finish well as a, as a dad in, in, in my home. And I think every young person, certainly there's something inside of you and every faculty member, every staff member, every parent here, well, there's something inside of us that, that just has to say, I want to be in the section that's still standing at the end. I want to be the one that can say, I've finished my course. Whether that's at the end of my life or whether that's the end of this semester, the end of uh, uh, your career here at Ambassador, whatever the case may be, there ought to be something inside of us that just says, I want to be the one that finishes strong. Well, we're blessed to have an example of someone like Paul. And according to his circumstances and obstacles and, and his weaknesses that, uh, that uh, he let us know that he had, he really should have never finished the course. He really never should have crossed that finish line, but he certainly did. And what a, what a glorious picture, if you can imagine the cloud of witnesses, the grandstand in the skies of, of Paul leading the way, looking to Jesus and crossing that finish line. And God has given us a plan, and Paul's going to help us out here this morning, a plan to finish, and a plan to finish strong. The first thing I want you to notice is a victorious ending. How did Paul end his life. In Acts chapter 28, in verses 30 and 31, we notice that uh, here Paul is in prison, and that's a little bit different situation that uh, at first he was uh, really closely watched by a guard, and then for these last two years, he was basically under house arrest, and under house arrest, he, uh, he was able to counsel folks, he was able to have people in his house and minister to them, and the Bible says in verse 31 that he just kept moving, he, he was preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ forbid, uh, with all confidence, no man forbidding him. And so he just kept moving. And, and as you know, the, in Paul's life, there was a lot of different obstacles and attacks and persecutions. And, and the things were going on in his life that uh, really didn't seem like it would, it would help him to finish strong. But he, he did finish well. well how, did he, uh, how did he end? We don't know a whole lot. We're trying to fill in some of the gaps based upon Scripture and based upon some strong traditions. But probably what happened is uh, in Acts chapter 28... Uh, 
Luke ends the, uh, the narrative there with him being in prison, but uh, there are other passages of Scripture that indicate that, that uh, Paul would be released there and, uh, and maybe head to Spain. In fact, in Romans, he talks about wanting to, uh, to go to Spain and even told those folks. And in uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 24, he says, "...whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you." And then first and second Timothy and Titus, all of those indicate that there's a, a post-Acts journey. So after his release from that house arrest, he, he went on to serve uh, in other places that we don't really have a whole lot of information about. But we do know that during those times, uh, his burden was for uh, Timothy and for Titus. And then uh, he was uh, brought back to Rome and then he was able to write first and second Timothy and, uh, and Titus. You know, Paul had a wonderful, wonderful ministry and a wonderful life serving the Lord, but it was all about to come to an end. Tradition says that most likely what uh, would have happened is, and and, uh, uh, history will tell us, that Nero uh, in in, uh, AD 64, uh, they they believe that he's the one that started the fire in Rome, and uh, uh, he was saying that he didn't start the fire and burned for five days. There were 14 provinces in, in Rome. Three of them were completely destroyed. Seven, seven of them had, had some major damage to them, and so there was only a few left. And in order to sort of get the attention off of himself, Nero said it's the Christian's fault. And he started to have his men, his soldiers, arrest Christians, not just in the city of Rome, but in the provinces all around there. We don't know exactly where Paul was at this time, if he came to Rome on his own, or maybe he was arrested by Nero at another place, and then he was brought to prison there in Rome. When he was there, he was, it was in a totally different situation than under house arrest. This time he was most likely in a dungeon and uh, alone by himself. He had to stand, and, and, it, and it moved quickly. It wasn't like before. He had to to stand uh, before the proper authorities, and then he was condemned, and condemned to death. And uh, tradition says that most likely one early morning that uh, they grabbed Paul out of uh, that dungeon. This was after he had uh, uh, said his final goodbyes, and the verses that we were just reading are are his goodbyes to Timothy and to Titus and and really to to the Christian world. And they grabbed him out of that dungeon and took him out on the street and uh, most likely with a very sharp, the two-edged sword beheaded him there. And Paul's life was over. But you know, he finished well, didn't he? And imagine the entrance into heaven on that day. The physical ending was over, but the physical ending was connected to the spiritual ending. You see, in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul is described and in, in he tells about running the race. And then in 2 Timothy, he says, the running is done. I have finished. I've run and I have finished my course. And in Acts chapter 28, in the, in the ending of his life, he is serving, he's trusting God still, he's counseling people, he's helping them, he's, 
He's still preaching the gospel. In Timothy, uh, very end of his life, he's writing these, these, uh, these letters and he's still warning, he's still encouraging, he's still loving, he's still serving. And he's looking back and he has all of this peace because he's, he's ready. He's ready for the spiritual and the physical ending. He's been faithful. The Bible says, he says, I'm, I've, I've finished, I've kept the faith, and I know that I'll be rewarded, this crown of righteousness that, uh, for those that love is appearing because uh, he was so faithful that, to what the Master left him to do that he could, with confidence, be excited about Christ appearing. And his life was finished. You know, Stowell says that the Greeks have a race in the Olympic Games that's unlike any other race. Instead of just trying to finish the race, this kind of race is unique. The winner was not someone that finishes first. It was the winner who finished with his torch still lit. And Stowell says, I want to run all the way with the flame of my torch still lit for him. Friends, you want to look at Paul's ending. He finished with his torch still lit, still on fire. Friends, I don't know... When my life will end, and I don't know when your life will end. But you know what? Well, we can get some endings in sight. We know the ending that will happen just in a few weeks of a semester. And uh, we, may, we can have the end of the year in sight. And there are certain categories, some places, some markers along the way where we can say, well, here's the ending or here's the beginning. And I'm just wondering right now, is, the, is your torch still lit? Remember the, the time when God convicted you and stirred you to go into the ministry and when God stirred you to come to ambassador and, and you're, it wasn't hard in that day to keep that torch lit and, and now I'm just wondering as you look around as the Spirit of God saying that thing needs to be lit again. That needs revival. Something needs to happen in your life where God begins to stir you once again for the victorious ending. Well, my question as I see Paul finish is, is how did he finish the way that he did? I mean, he had this victorious ending, but it would make sense, wouldn't it, for us to look at a victorious life? In other words, if we're, if we're keeping of the example that Paul used of a race, let's examine the start, the turns, the pace maybe, how it was handled. What is it about Paul's life that could be noted as major themes that we can implement in our own lives and still be the one standing in the very end and finish well? Well, I think, first of all, that Paul had a race that was energized by the Spirit. He had a race that was energized by the Spirit. You say, how am I going to finish well like Paul finished well? How could I say... My torch is still lit, just like it was lit a year ago or five years ago. Well, if you look at the example of Paul, he had a race that was energized by the Spirit of God, and I can use that very same example in my own life. Acts chapter 28 again, you will see in verse 31, the Bible uses this phrase, with all confidence. That phrase means that that there was this freedom. Freedom in speaking, freedom in boldness, freedom uh, from fear. Now, If you're under house arrest and you've just gone through uh, times with Felix and with Festus and uh, times of persecution and you have no idea what's going to happen next in your life, certainly you would have some fear in your life. But Paul says that I'm without those things. 
I'm, I'm with all confidence. That's freedom in my, in, in my uh, preaching to these people that are coming to me. And uh, freedom in my boldness and freedom without fear. Boldness in Paul's life could never have come from some sort of self-confidence or maybe from training because he announces that he's the chief of sinners and uh, he says, I was with you in weakness. Freedom could only come from the one who was giving out the life and the light and the liberty and that was the Holy Spirit of God. That's where it was coming from. You know, any race energized by the flesh runs out of energy pretty quick. And maybe that would be the issue that the Spirit of God would kind of nail in your heart and in your life this morning. Where you say, why is it that I'm kind of, uh, I'm I'm running a lot slower than I used to? Why is it that in the area of energy and the the love for souls and the love for ministry and and just the passion to do God's will and to walk with God and to, to do right in every relationship that I have and everything that God's asked me to do? Well, maybe it is that you started the the race and it was all energized by your flesh in the very beginning and, and any race that is energized by the flesh will quickly run out of energy. The Paul is saying, I have some confidence here and that's coming not from my strength but it's coming from the strength from the Spirit of God, where I have this liberty, this life, this, this, this light, this energy, this excitement, all the way to the very end. Why? Because it was coming from someone that was not Him. It was coming from the Spirit of God. And then he uses this phrase in verse 31. He says, there's no man forbidding Him. That means unhindered or, or without hindrance. There was, he was not stopped by persecution. He was not stopped by wild animals. He was not stopped by legal problems or shipwrecks or attacks or infirmities because grace was bigger. And if God be for us, who can be against us? The power of God can rest on us. And the power of God pushes you and I to usefulness in the face of all obstacles. And friends, if I were to ask you right now, are there obstacles in your race? You could give me testimony about obstacles in your race. There's money issues and there's relationship issues. And there's just maybe you're just tired and, and uh, there are problems that you could, uh, you could let all of us know about. And uh, maybe they even would be similar to uh, the obstacles that were found in Paul's life. But he still says and, and, and says in, the, in his closing words, he says, no man forbidding him. That means I still am unhindered. I'm still moving forward in power and in confidence because he was depending upon something that was bigger than all of those obstacles and that is the grace of God that was sufficient. The divine enablement that God uh, gave him. You know, in all races, they're hard, aren't they? Is anybody involved in a marathon? Anybody ever run a marathon before? What is wrong with you all? Okay, so there are a marathon, a couple marathon uh, runners here. I've never run a marathon. I've actually never run. No, I've run a few times, but uh, I would I would love to uh, run. Um, I love to run if I have a basketball in my hand. I feel like it's worth it. Um, but if there's not a basketball in my hand, I feel like I'm wasting my time. Probably shouldn't feel like that, but uh, I do nonetheless. And uh, there are some races that I've read about. And, uh, and heard about, maybe you've heard about the same ones. There are races where people will jump on a bicycle and, run, and, uh, and ride a bike for I don't know how many miles, way too many, and, uh, and then they'll ditch their bike and they'll swim in an ocean for, I don't know, three or 400 miles, I don't know, and, uh, then, and, uh, and then they'll just run. And um, 
And uh, I, I, I don't know if I appreciate that because I'm just wondering, why are you doing that, you know? And again, I, would, I wouldn't mind running if I had a basketball in my hand or if a wild animal was chasing me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind uh, running. And I'm looking at these guys and I'm just going, I mean, ain't no way. <laughs> I, I just, there's just no way. If, if I had some sort of way, a secret, you know, I could run that race. If I could cheat, maybe. I, uh, I read about some cheaters in a race, and uh, one was in Vancouver, and it was a marathon, and uh, he got caught, but actually it was a half marathon, and uh, this guy literally used a bicycle for part of the race, and, uh, and then just ditched the bike and started running again and acted like everything's good. And uh, there was another one that I read about where there was a, uh, there was a time where the, the, uh, the participant, I think this was in South America, uh, stopped running and uh, had someone, uh, this is a, a regular marathon, had someone drive him 11 miles of the race and then, uh, then jumped out of the car and, uh, and got right back to it. And uh, I'd be interested in something like that if I could, <laughs> if I could get away with it and win the race. Uh, but the one that interested me the most was there was someone, uh, a Puerto Rican, and uh, he had, uh, she was uh, do, competing the long jump, and uh, she actually had a, a hamstring injury, and uh, so she wanted to run the 4 by 400 in the next round, but she could not, and she really wanted to win, and so she pulled her twin sister out of the stands and had her come run for her, and uh, that's cheating, um, but, uh, and she didn't get away with it, but it was, um, it was a good try. Now listen, in the, uh, in the race of the Christian life, now don't miss what I'm about to say. In the race of the Christian life, it's as if we can cheat by getting someone else to run for us. Now Paul knew the secret, and it wasn't cheating. He says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Then he said, hold on a second, actually it's not me. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. You see, he, here's, what, here's what his secret was. He understood that there could be an exchange where he could say, well, there's no way that I could finish strong, but Jesus sure can. There's no way that I could, uh, in the face of the obstacles that I have, there's absolutely no way that I could get all the way to the finish line, but I know someone that can that's going to allow me to sort of cheat, I guess. He's going to actually give me his life and give me his strength. And he made that exchange. And it worked for him. Young person, I may be talking to someone here right now that you have never captured that exchange in your life where you have been depending this whole time on your flesh and no wonder the energy is running out. The spiritual energy to walk with God comes from God. The spiritual energy to love souls comes from God. The spiritual energy to make right choices and, and, uh, and uh, to do the right thing comes from God. That is a dependence upon Him. And Paul knew that. And the reason he finished strong is because he ran well. And the reason that he ran well is because he ran a race that was energized by the Spirit of God. Is your race energized by the Spirit of God? The second thing that I see is that he had a race that was executed one step at a time. Just one step at a time. In Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31, I think it is absolutely fascinating 
uh, knowing what we know about Paul, that there were two whole years that were uninterrupted where he continued to have ministry. By the way, have you ever been blessed by the book of Ephesians or the book of Philippians or Colossians or Philemon? And that was written while Paul was in prison there uh, in Rome. And then the second time that he was in prison, uh, he was writing First and Second Timothy and Titus. Have you ever been blessed by those books? Ever been encouraged by something you read in the book of Philippians? You know, if it was me, this would be my temptation. I would say, well, I believe I'm going to have really awesome, fantastic ministry like back when we were starting those churches and the first missionary journey, the second missionary journey. And man, I got stories to tell about people getting saved. And he could, he could talk about the different people that got saved and baptized. And there were people that were, were joining the church. And, and I would be tempted to say, it's going to be really good when I get out of here. It's going to be good again. So for two years... You know what he did? The next right thing. As if it was his God-called mission to be in that prison. And it was God's God's called mission for him to write the, the letters that he wrote that are such a blessing to us and will be for all time. You know, he could have waited until he was free, maybe if he was on his way to Spain. And yet, this was his mission field. Think about the long line of those people that needed him while he's in, under house arrest. The pastors there, those that were discouraged, those that needed counsel, those that needed to be saved, decisions that needed to be made. His lifestyle, his race was to do the next right thing as if it was the greatest calling on his life. You look at his life, and, and uh, it, just in the previous chapter, um, there, there's a shipwreck, and, uh, and now somebody needs to go get wood. Who's the one getting wood? It's Paul. Now, he's getting the wood because it's the next right thing for him to do. He just was a servant, and now he gets the wood. He gets bitten by a snake, and then from there, it opened up ministry where there were other people that he was able to minister to. The next right thing for many days in his life was just to go to the marketplace and to make and to sell tents. And uh, from there, he's meeting people like Aquila and Priscilla, and he's getting an opportunity to start churches because he's just doing the very next right thing. You know, a race executed one step at a time will end up finishing well. You say, I want to finish well, all right? Paul had a race that was energized by the Spirit of God, and he had a race that was executed one single step at a time. You finish well by living well. You live well by doing the next right thing as if it's your God-sent calling and mission. Luke chapter 16, verse 10, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. You say, man, I just really can't wait till I get out of college, and then all of a sudden things are going to open up for me, and the ministry is just going to begin. Friends, listen... The next right thing is this day, is the next class that you go to. Some of you, sometimes I have an idea, wow, if I get to be a pastor, a youth pastor, a missionary, an evangelist, or whatever, and uh, it's, the, it's the glamorous times, and, and uh, it's those times where, where uh, somebody gets up in a, in a pulpit, and, uh, and there are hundreds that are saved or whatever, well, you can ask the evangelists and the pastors and the missionaries that are here in the room, and uh, if they're finishing well, they're running well, and if they're running well, they're just doing the next right thing that God is giving them as if it is their God-called mission. There are lists on my, uh, there are things on my list that I need to do to, today and this week that's just the next right thing. I think God can get glorified 
if I can get uh, time to plant some flowers at the church. That's on my list this week. I don't know what's going to happen with that. I don't know if God has someone at Lowe's that I'm supposed to meet and pass out a track to. And uh, I don't know what will happen uh, because of that. All I just know is that that's the, that's the next right thing. And it is God, a God-given mission. So your class, if we ever get to it, your class is really important. You know, lunchtime's pretty important. And, uh, yeah, okay. And, uh, and how you, uh, what you do at work today and the relationships that you're building, the conversations that you're having, that's part of a God-called mission field. We're not waiting until we graduate, are we? We're serving God right now. You know, I was reminded, and my grandmother, my grandparents um, uh, served for 40 years in, in, uh, in West Africa, and I had the opportunity to grow up in Togo, West Africa. And uh, my grandmother um, was a photographer, and um, she started a blind school in Togo, but the, she loved videoing. And uh, so there was a time in 1965 where she was in the Niger. President Gior was the president then, and uh, she was invited uh, to, to come and to video this call of prayer, this assembly that was going on. There were 20,000 people that were there. And uh, she had her old video camera that they used like in World War II. And, uh, and she had that camera. She was 15 feet from the president. And uh, she's going at just videoing everything that was going on. And uh, then there was a, there was a, a time where the, uh, the imam got up and he was about to uh, uh, start the call of prayer, and um, and my grandmother said, "Could you wait just a second because I need to change my film in my in my camera?" That was just like her to just kind of hold off on the whole program. And he listened to her and stopped the program, and uh, and then and then move forward. Well, as she was videoing, fifteen feet from the president, uh, there was a an attempted uh, bombing. It actually, was a bomb. It was an attempt on his on uh, President George's life. And so one of the guys, there were several guys that were planted in that crowd of 20,000, uh, but one of them uh, had a grenade and uh, pulled it out of his coat and uh, took the pin out. And as he was going to throw it at the president, his, uh, his arm got caught in his long sleeve, and uh, so it was a bad throw. And uh, threw it, and instead of hitting the president, it uh, went off to the right and, uh, and actually hit uh, a child and uh, some, other, uh, some other guys that were there. And obviously, it was, a bit, it was chaos after that. People were yelling, bomb, bomb, bomb. And, and um, many, most of them just started running away. Um, the soldiers came in, and uh, they said, if anybody moves, you will get shot. My grandmother just kept videoing. And uh, she actually took the, uh, her, she had a second camera, gave it to my dad, who was 12-year-old at the time, and uh, said, here, you video too. And uh, so both of them were, were videoing. And uh, as they continued to video, they finally captured one of the guys. There were those that were being carried out, and um, they captured one of the, one of the guys. And uh, she just kept on videoing. Well, then all of a sudden she realized, at the end of this, there's no way that I'm going to be able to keep this film. This is a major event that is not just going to be talked about here in the Niger, but it talked about worldwide. Anytime you have an attempted assassination on the president of a country, that's kind of a big deal. And that's just, she said, oh, I just don't want him to take my, my uh, film. And, uh, and so sure enough, she got home and she called the U.S. Embassy. 
uh, there in the Niger. She said, I was there. I was uh, a witness to some of the things that happened, and I have video. And um, she said it was just a few minutes later that the CIA ended up on her doorstep and uh, asked for the, for the uh, film. She said, I really would like to get it back. She said, you don't, they said, you understand, it's just gonna, it's gonna, we're going to make copies, and uh, we need this film. And uh, so they sent the film to Washington, D.C., and then they came back with the, with the film, and they asked my grandmother to accompany them to the president's palace to, uh, to go through the film frame by frame. And when they did that, they were able to identify different folks that uh, should have been arrested, not just the one that threw uh, the grenade. There were others. And of course, the president and, uh, and uh, the ministers there, they were very thankful for what had happened. And uh, a few months went by, and my grandparents were in Greenville, South Carolina, and uh, they got a call from uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, president Lyndon B. Johnson was the president then, and uh, they were having a ceremony to basically celebrate the life of President Dior in the Niger, and they invited my grandparents to come. And uh, so as they stood there, uh, they had already been to the palace of the president, but they stood in Washington, D.C., and uh, up the aisle came President Dior and his wife, and uh, my grandparents were there to shake their hands and then shook um, President Johnson's hand and, and uh, the, the hand of his wife. You know, there's a verse that comes to my mind, not only the verse that I just read in the book of Luke, but also He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And then in Proverbs 22, Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean or average men. When someone just does the next right thing, they they end up in places that they never would have dreamed of. That's what Proverbs is talking about. Some of you are thinking, man, if I could just be in that place where I could shake the president's hand. Or better yet, if I could just be in a position like Paul where I could finish well and receive a a, a crown from the Lord Jesus Christ to cast back at His feet. And that's wonderful to envision. It's wonderful to dream about. Sometimes it's just doing the next right thing day after day after day after day and the end will take care of itself. Friends, what is it in your life that is missing for you to finish well? I want to finish with this. It is a race energized by the Spirit, a race executed one step at a time, and then it is a race established by personal pursuit of God. If you look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, what I did is I just noted the personal pronouns in 6 through 8, and I compared that to things like, uh, in verse 10, Demas forsook me, and then verses 16 uh, through 17, uh, all of the folks had left and uh, left kind of Paul, left Paul on his own. And yet, in all of these personal pronouns, he was identifying something about this race, and that is, he was saying, This race that was started, it's my race. I don't know about Demas. This is my race. He was even saying, Look, I understand there's some contemporaries of mine like Peter. And, uh, and Stephen, they had, they had run their race, but this is different. This is my race. He had read about Abraham's God and Isaac and Jacob and Moses, even Peter and Stephen, but he had learned to love and pursue God personally. 
He had learned to embrace this as his personal race. That's why in the face of all of the different difficulties and the trials and the persecutions, he could still say, I have finished my course. Why? It was his course. It was something that he had embraced as his own. There was a pursuit of God that got him from the very beginning to the very end. Just like David talks about in Psalm 42 verse 1 as he describes this deer that, that is so thirsty, that is panting for the, for the water brook. That's something that could be described the same not just for David but for Paul as well. It was his race. It was his God. It was his walk with God. It was his personal calling. It was his ministry that God had given him to do. Can I ask you, is that you? You see, it's going to be real hard to finish this year at Ambassador. It's going to be really hard to finish your four years here, whatever God has called you to, if it's not even really been your race in the very beginning. And some of you need to stop running your parents' race and run your race. It's a whole lot different when your parents ask you to go somewhere or tell you to go somewhere. It's a whole lot different when you've embraced it as your race. My first year in Bible college, it was my parents' race. I mean, it was their race. And no wonder I went walking with God like I should. No wonder I was making bad decisions. And something happened to me in a, a, a period of revival in my life, my sophomore and junior and senior year, and all of a sudden things became very different for me because all of a sudden it was now my race. Hey, I just want to ask you, I want to ask you this question. Why are you here? Are you going to finish this semester? Why? Because my mom said I have to. Are you going to finish the course that God has given you? You know how it'll just make a huge difference in your life if, if somewhere along the way it becomes your race. And you're in the ministry because it's God call, God's calling on your life. That story helped me, and I'll tell it to you as we close here today. The grandfather's sitting on his porch, and he's looking out across a field, and he's got six dogs under the porch there. And all of a sudden, one of the dogs starts barking because he sees, way in the distance, he sees a rabbit. And that dog takes off. Then the other five dogs start yapping and barking. They don't even know why they're barking. They just take off after the first dog. The grandfather looks at his grandson. He said, I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen. He says, in ten minutes, those five dogs are going to come back all tired, and they're come back and they're going to sit under the porch. In about 30 minutes, the first dog's going to come back with a rabbit in his mouth. You know, sure enough, 10 minutes went by, and those dogs came back, tired, sat down under the porch, and in 30 minutes, that first dog came back with a rabbit in his mouth. And that grandson said, Grandfather, how in the world did you know that? He said, the first five dogs never saw the goal. It was never theirs. The first one saw it and had in its vision that this is my target. This is my goal, and I'm going to pursue it like it's mine. And he came back with the goal. You know, that helped me. I can't be in the ministry because someone else wants me to be. I can't run a race because someone else wants me to be. I want to see Jesus. I want to see the calling of God on my life personally. 
And I want to embrace it as if it is mine, because it is mine. And then I want to pursue it with all of my heart. Why did Paul finish the race? He, was, he finished well because he was energized by the Spirit. He finished well because he ex- executed one step at a time, and then he established a personal pursuit of God. You know, the nice thing about this race is that if you dropped out, you could start again. And maybe some of you need to do that. So let's go back to the very opening illustration. There's three sections, and we ask one to sit down, and then we ask another to sit down, and there's only one left standing. Are you in that group? Are you on target to finish strong your ministry this semester, this day, this week, whatever God has called you to do?